another episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane and we're the hosts of your favorite podcast all about the books of rick riordan today we're continuing our conversation the second king chronicles book the throne of fire how are you doing today jacqueline oh i'm doing all right i've been chilling i've been relaxing maxing all cool uh it's 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 the it's the lunar new year happy lunar new year happy blah blah blah, blah. Happy blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Did I did I like stutter or mumble or something? No, I'm just tired. Go to bed. <laughs> but one thing that we can say for sure is it's also uh, on the day we're recording this. Happy, what is it like? Happy World Read Aloud Day or something? What? I don't know. I just saw a poll on Twitter from Rick Riordan that was like, celebrate Happy World Read Aloud Day. Are you rereading The Lightning Thief to celebrate? And I clicked the button that said, I'm reading another Rick Riordan book. What a shell. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> uh, but we're having fun today. We're going to talk about The Throne of Fire. Uh, Jane, do you want to just send us straight into those chapters? Uh, hang on, wait. Different Rick Riordan book. There we go. Okay, it's chapter summaries. You're also clicking on it? I, I checked so I could to see if there was anything derisive I could click, and when there wasn't, I just clicked the one that was true. <laughs> Imagine Rick Riordan posting a poll that's like, are you rereading Lightning Thief? And the options are like, yes, I'm reading a different one. I'm reading a different one by Rick Riordan Presents. Or, no, I fucking hate this book. Like, well, no, because they sometimes add a result that's like, I'm a dipshit who hates your books. And I was gonna see I, if I could click I that one. I don't think Rick. <laughs> I don't think Rick Riordan would write. I'm you're a. I'm a dipshit who hates your books. <laughs> I, I think he's primarily appealing to tweenagers. Well, you know, not words to that effect. Oh, like I'm a silly poo poo head. I I don't like reading. I can't read. Okay. <laughs> if there was an I can't read option, I would have clicked that too. Definitely. Anyway. Chapter 13. Carter. I get a demon up my nose. Carter and Bez set off to find Zia's village. Because Bez is so popular with the locals, they're able to quickly secure transport and supplies for their journey. And while travelling, pon- Carter ponders his guilt about ditching Sadie, his embarrassment to her finding her secret name, and his theories about how tapping into divine magic works. He believes it's pretty similar to sympathetic magic, putting yourself in the same mindset as the god whose power you want to use, or other similarities that create a magical bond. Bez agrees with Carter that this whole thing is a terrible idea, especially because he knows better than anyone that Menshikov holds a grudge, and is probably on Carter's trail. This leads into a talk about Bez's history. We learn that a few gods, like him, weren't locked up by the House of Life and that Bez was later adopted by the Romans as one of their gods, before providing the inspiration for leprechauns and gargoyles in the Middle Ages. He was free until Menshikov briefly captured him. He tells Carter that he's opening up because Carter reminds him of his younger self, and cryptically warns him not to repeat his mistakes in getting so starry-eyed over Zia, someone he can't have, that he turns his back on the people who need him. They arrive at the ruins of Zia's village, which have been half-submerged by the Nile as it tries to wash away the evil. 
After some poking around, they find a submerged tomb with a House of Life symbol on it and Zia's name in hieroglyphs. Despite Bez's insistence that parting water is basic magic, Carter has no idea how to do it, and the argument over that is interrupted when the pair are attacked by water demons. While initially helpless, Carter is able to latch onto a memory of Horus also drowning in a river, and use that to part the water and destroy the demons. With that, Carter and Bez are free to enter the tomb. Chapter 14. Carter. At the tomb of Zia Rashid. Inside, they find Zia locked in a sarcophagus made of magic glowing water. Bez only now finds out that Zia is a godling, and observes that Nephthys being a water goddess and Zia being a fire magician makes them an exceptionally bad match. One of the reasons Iskandar put them in suspended animation was probably to stop Zia literally ripping herself apart with the conflicting magical energies. She's also holding a crook and flail, which Bez recognises the original crook and flail that, that Ra used, providing protection against chaos. Bez tells Carter that letting her out will break the protections and leave them vulnerable to attacks from Apophis, but Carter realises something else. Zia is still, to some degree, conscious. She's paralysed and has been dreaming that she's drowning almost constantly for several months, and that level of suffering is too much for Carter to tolerate. He breaks the seal and lets Zia free. Bez and Carter drag her to the Nile so that Nephthys' spirit can escape into the river before Zia explodes. The goddess tells Carter to protect Zia as she has a quote, important destiny, and disappears. Zia's lungs are still full of water, so Carter tries mouth to mouth to resuscitate her, a very strange reaction which earns him a well-deserved punch to the gut when she's conscious again. That's not the only gut punch this scene has in store for Carter. Turns out that while Zia has a hazy memory of what her Shabti experienced, she doesn't recognise the memories as her own experiences. As far as she's concerned, Carter knew a weird pottery clone of her, and she has no attachment to him. Carter gut punches her right back by telling her that Iskandar is dead and that he definitely planned to undo the House of Life's ban on divine magic, which Zia takes extremely badly. She attacks Carter, and writes the situation seems like it can't get any worse, Dejarden and Menshikov roll up, accuse Carter of nicking the crook and flail, and Zia flips back to their side to help them capture Carter and Bez, and take them back to the first gnome to be executed. Chapter 15. Sadie. Camels are evil. We rejoin Sadie and Walt as they set out into the desert to search for the final scroll, using magically conjured camels. Sadie tries to use the downtime as an opportunity to get Walt to open up about what's going on with him, he grudgingly reveals a little to her. Walt says that while he's part of the pharaoh's bloodline, same as all the other kids, he's specifically descended from Akhenaten, a pharaoh who tried to ban worship of the old gods and instead embrace the worship of Aten, the sun. Before he can elaborate further, they arrive at the oasis and a small desert cat approaches them. The cat is being puppeteered by Bast from within the Duat, and she informs the pair that, for some reason, Apophis' plan actually somehow relies on Ra being awakened. Sadie, while initially doubtful, realises that this is why they've had such a relatively easy time taking the scrolls up to now. Despite this, she still believes awakening Ra is the right move, as order has to balance the chaos of Apophis' return. She tells Bast to return to Brooklyn House, and Bast agrees to do so, warning Walt and Sadie to watch out for Romans before disappearing. In the oasis, Walt and Sadie find a date farm built on top of the entrance to the tomb that holds the scroll. Sadie blows up a section of floor and destroys a water tower, completely ruining the untouched archaeological treasure trove to Walt's horror, and they hop inside. Chapter 16. Sadie. But not as evil as Romans. In the tomb, Walt and Sadie discover a bunch of late-period mummies, many of which are actually Romans who came over when they conquered Egypt. They meet a Roman ghost named Appius Claudius Iratus, aka Mad Claude, 
who assumes that they are magicians from the House of Life who have been sent to complete the funeral rites for all the Romans. Apparently, they tried to do Egyptian burial rituals to cover themselves so they could get into either Pluto or the Duarte, but all that did was lead them to being trapped in their own corpses for thousands of years. Walton Sadie Bluff, saying they'll do the rites if Claude shows them where the Book of Rise, and he agrees. He leads them to a caved-in section of the tomb where the book is, opposite a statue of Ptah, who Claude explains is similar to Vulcan, nay Hephaestus. The statue is unusual to see in a tomb, but it has a Nitjeri, the knife that Sadie got from Anubis, carved into it, and Sadie realises it must be connected to the Book of Ra somehow, maybe even something she'll need to reawaken him. Ptah was also the god of opening, so they try making an offering to him to clear the cave-in, but it doesn't work. Claude argues that Sadie should use the knife to just release his soul, and they can get enough for everyone. After all, Walt is dying, so he's in contact with Anubis. Wait, what? Sadie demands an explanation from Walt, who explains that Akhenaten's line is cursed with horrific terminal illness, because the whole trying to ban the worship of the gods thing. He was talking to Jazz because she was a healer and he wanted to see if she could do anything. Claude gets pissy and leaves, while Walt explains to Sadie that using magic accelerates the curse and will kill him quicker. But he likes Sadie so much and feels such a purpose being part of the House of Life that he's willing to t- burn some of the time he has left to use magic with her. After some fruitless futzing around with the rock pile, Sadie uses sympathetic magic on a smaller pile of rocks to move those and clear the cave-in. They get into the chamber with the book, grab it, try to leave, but Claude has fetched all the other mummies and they're coming for that knife. However, just as they're about to be eaten, a bunch of rats or something appear and kill all the mummies. It turns out that Ptah is also god of rats and heard their call for help, but took a while to get there. But now he's arrived, and is in the body of the farmer whose water tower they destroyed, who is coming into the tomb with a shotgun. He warns Sadie that Carter is in trouble, and that she'll need courage, hope, and sacrifice to win the day. He says if they can rescue Carter, they should go to the top of the Great Pyramid, and opens a portal so they can go and do that rescuing. Uh, so, what did you think of these chapters? When did the King Chronicles get, like, really good? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, more or less. Like, okay. I... <sighs> There's just a weird amount that I want to like talk about how amped up I am about in the in these chapters. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I a, a weirdly satisfactory like mis like mystery conclusion, a or like not conclusion but like a little bit more details revealed. Um, more like a lot about the magic system that I'm like really drawn to. Um, a more like like kind of fleshed out world uh, now like since we know that like other gods live here um, like kind of a little bit more fleshing out of like the way that that affects like the day to day to lives of people mm-hmm. um, lots of lots of interesting stuff here lots of interesting stuff I I also really like these chapters I do think the Sadie ones are like significantly stronger than the Carter chapters that's probably true i mean that's probably why i didn't really mention much from the carter chapters and that (laughs) (laughs) like should we tackle the carter stuff first you think let's 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 get the carter stuff out of the way largely i think this is where the story like had to go right Uh, absolutely this is absolutely the way that i was hoping that like all the stuff with zia would go i think that carter's like Carter's been building Zia up so much in his brain, even though he, like, does not know her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the moment where she just, like, you know, smacks him in the nose 
Uh, it, it's it's definitely like you said a well deserved uh, PSA for people. Mouth to mouth resuscitation basically doesn't do anything. Yeah, stick it doesn't work, the, right? Yeah, stick to like the chest compressions and stuff. It's it's basically a myth. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I really like that scene because it is like because it is like that bit um, that you see in so many movies where like oh the the hero's love interest is like drowning, so he gives them mouth to mouth. And they wake up and it turns into a passionate kiss. And it, it seems like it's setting up for that. And instead what you get is Zia fucking hits him as hard as she can because what are you doing, you weirdo? Yeah, she doesn't know this guy. Like, she saw him once and was like, we should kill this guy. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's weird to think about the first book that, like, she was the one who was like, we should kill these guys. And Jejaden was the one who was like, let's not kill them yet. Oh, Yeah. Well, I mean, she's. Uh, they are both on the side of let's kill them by the end of these chapters, so. Uh, that's right. And, like, she seems reluctant about it and confused because she does She does have her shop these memories. And I'm sure that to an extent, like, there will be a merging later on where they more or less become the same person. I am curious where that will go with, like, you know, just, like, her as a character. Because I think we talked about, like, you especially were talking about how you kind of want to see her in a more antagonistic role again when she came back. Uh, I don't remember saying that, but that does sound cool. I I, I think you said that. Maybe I'm making it up, but I thought you were like, oh, it'd be cool if Zia was an antagonist again or something like that. Um, maybe when we were talking about, like, the divisions of antagonists and how there are, like, people working for the same thing on different sides. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's also, it's also, like, a little sad. Like, obviously, like, this is... Like, yes, Carter was being, Carter was not being the best about it, but also, uh, like, it's, the, the Carter and Zia built up a really, like, nice dynamic in the first book, um, mm-hmm. and to see that, it, it is always kind of sad just to see a, like, character, character relationship, like, crumble in that way. Yeah, I, I mean, she literally crumbled. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very, like, um... Very tragic, very, uh, like, melodramatic, but, like, in a good way. Uh-huh. I'm glad, I'm glad that, like, this went extremely badly for Carter, because I, I feel like if this had worked out for him after the degree to which the story is, it reinforced that this is a bad decision, it would have just, like, ripped the stakes out of everything. Right, like, the fact is that this has, from the start, been a dangerous, like... It's been dangerous. It's been, like, largely unnecessary. Like, it gets tied back into the larger plot because, like, she had Roz, uh, what was it, like, his crook? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, this this is not contributing. This is, in fact, uh, detracting from the plan of Save the World, ultimately, it seems like. Casa is, in fact, making everything worse. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's definitely how this had to go. So I, I appreciate that. that it, it wasn't like it wasn't made into an easy resolution. Yeah, which I'm I'm kind of rooting for um, Zia just straight up not getting not like integrating the Shabti memories into her own. I feel like that makes for a more interesting conflict between her and Carter. It would feel like a bit of a cop out if after this like fairly harrowing reunion, if we just kind of uh, hit that hit that conflict on the head and move on. It feels like it's more interesting for them to be there and to cause conflict inside of her, right? 
Definitely. Like, Zia is here now as someone who can... Who can act as, like... She's probably going to get that role of, like, either... Oh, she's going to be on the other side, but she it will be, like... She may help out eventually again. Or else, like, they'll have to convince her to their side. But, like, it's, it's, it's a I'm, good character... What's up? Uh, I'm going to put down money right now that um, during Carter's execution scene, Zia is going to, like... Um, deliberately slip up and let him go Ooh, because okay. she's still conflicted about what's going on i, I i'm absolutely certain that that's what's gonna happen i kind of i kind of forgot that ended by carter getting taken in uh, <laughs> the sadie chapters just kind of like pasted over a lot of these chapters for me like it's it's kind of i think the specific there's some like there is obviously interesting stuff here um we get kind of a rest chapter, I would describe, like, a, what, what's the first one? Uh, chapter... Camels are chap- evil. Yeah, chapter 13, I got a demon up my nose. It's largely, like, it's largely just them then traveling through the desert, not even really talking. Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, there's a bunch of guys who show up with bears, who I didn't even mention in the summary because they are so weirdly unnecessary to the plot. Who's like, that? They... Sh- they- a bunch of people show up and give bears their, um, excuse me, their supplies in a truck. They travel around with them for a couple of pages, and then they just fuck off. Oh, the, uh... And they're never mentioned again. Was it the Bedouins? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, makes it feel like a more, like, a more grounded journey, I guess. I suppose. Like oh they're having to hop from one thing to another to stuff like that. Uh, it's it's a very similar like it's it's very similar to the way that chapter fifteen starts. Yeah, this is true. In so far as I, like it's just in so far as they're both like traveling through the desert. I guess that's mm-hmm. I didn't have much there. Okay, uh, I would like to uh, mention one point from these chapters. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is to kind of go back to something that uh, we we've talked about a couple of times on this show. Which is uh, the position of the Christian gods in the um, the Ryden verse? Right, right. Uh, uh, check out our Patreon bonus show, Nectar of the Pods, <laughs> where we go in deep on the Christian god. <laughs> last episode. Yep. Last episode was all about uh, Prince of Egypt, which uh, is relevant because I would argue that uh, these chapters present a very compelling argument that God is dead and Rick Ryden has killed him. Okay. Which is. <sighs> Bez says that, like, parting water is basic bitch Egyptian magic, right? Uh Uh-huh. And we already know that Moses was, like, it was put in these books, some of his feats were achieved through, like, uh, the house of life magic rather than God helping him. Yeah, actually, wait, that's really interesting. Because now, because... that was ambiguous before, but now, uh, apparently, like, actual biblical miracles are bullshit and were actually him like using the power of Nephthys or whatever yeah because okay so like where are the, <laughs> the the two biggest examples from this is that like transforming your sna- staff into a snake has become like just like very uh, that's very like basic um egyptian magic and Sadie also transforms pan- her staff into a lion in these chapters and also like parting seas is also very basic egyptian magic so is this this is basically positing that Moses was doing Egyptian magic the whole time. That's so funny. Uh, it also like it it recontextualizes um like that priest who showed up in Lightning Thief. 
uh-huh where the implication was kind of oh you know we can see him in hades because he's he's dead but he'll, he'll he'll go to his own afterlife he's seeing something else but like if we're to take this book's word for it miracles are bullshit the Christ- the whole christian cosmic order is bullshit uh, and that means that the equivalent situation would apply to hades so he's just th- in hades seeing something else i think that's so funny <laughs> I, I really wonder about that. Like, the, the alternate argument for that is presented in the next few chapters. That, like, right? Like, mm-hmm. because that's where we kind of get into the Roman gods, I guess. I don't, that, that's true, but I guess the, the thing is that this, like, unintentionally or no, creates a pattern of, like, anything to do with the Christian god can be explained by, like, pagan religions. <laughs> Uh, right, right. Well, the uh, and that's interesting. Like, is this book saying that those were isolated incidents of like Moses was just a guy who did Egyptian magic, but also the Christian God is real? Or I don't, is this? I, I suspect that this is not on purpose, and no. Rick wasn't thinking that hard about it. I just find it no. extremely funny. <laughs> it's it's just funny. It's just like interesting to think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unremarkable apart from Rick killing God. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know the little writerly things. <laughs> Hashtag little, little things. Little writerly things. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, God. Okay. There was also the fight with the uh, the water demons. That was like largely kind of unremarkable. It's it's a nothing fight except for the one little thing where Carter's like, "Fuck! I wish I had sea god powers." You get one. You get one of those, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed this time, but you were only allowed to do it once. Yeah. It, it Luckily, it does feel different than, um, like, oh, I sometimes see flying horses on, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. That feels more along the lines of, like, oh, this is a fleshed-out, multidimensional world. Stuff like this feels more like, oh, do you remember the other book series I wrote? <laughs> <laughs> it's at least somewhat... In co- in context and character, so uh-huh. it's not too bad. Oh, definitely. You know, okay, this is like kind of going back a bit to like last episode, but it's just something I want to mention. Uh-huh. Do Do you feel like Rick Riordan has like really firmly got these characters' voices down? Because like, I'm thinking specifically in like how when Carter and Sadie are like annoyed, it's like written so differently. Like, just as, like, an example, like, I think it'd be really easy to, like, make them, like, be annoyed in a very, and, like, have that come through the text in, like, a very similar way. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, I, I want to point to a specific example. I don't think I talked about this in the last episode, so cut me off if I did. Uh-huh. It's in chapter nine. Uh, Carter gives, like, like, a one-page explanation of how he and Walt got to Sadie in London. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it basically, like, them going through, like, a series of, like, unfortunate mishaps. And then Carter being, like, then, finally, we were ready to charge in and save Sadie. And she rides up in a limousine driven by an ugly dwarf in a swimsuit. And she accuses us of being late. So when she told us the dwarf was driving us to Russia, I was, like, whatever. And I got into the car. I think that's, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, first of all, very like, a very funny, like, piece of writing, I guess. And secondly, Definitely. like... Secondly, very different from how, like, Sadie being annoyed is written. Because Sadie will just, like, go on and on and on about, like... 
Yeah, Kosh is much more passive-aggressive. Yeah, exactly. He's passive-aggressive. Sadie is aggressive. Active-aggressive. The one thing for this fight that I will say about the water demons is that I think the idea of, like, getting water in your nose is already so annoying, but the idea of water, like, trying to go into your lungs, like, yeah. <laughs> on purpose is pretty scary. Yeah, that that does suck. It's also quite funny when he punches Bez. Definitely. And then Bez is like, okay, well, you know, you punched me, I punch you, she punched you, can I punch her? <laughs> One last thing I have to say about the Carter chapters is um, uh, when fucking Menshikov comes back uh, and he he's wearing a hat to hide his head injuries. <laughs> to hide the giant comedy bruise that um, the set gave him. God, it's it's very good. It's very good. Oh, yeah. Actually, there was there was another thing that I was kind of I thought about while I was reading these chapters. Uh huh. Who's Bez's host? I don't think he has a host. Yeah, like, I... Hmm. Because cause we've seen gods walk around without hosts, but they generally need, like, an object or something. Right. Like, Set had the Red Pyramid, and Anubis uses graveyards. And I guess, I don't know, I guess you could say, like, Bez has, like, the common people because he's the god of the people. But also then it's kind of weird that he can just go out in the middle of a desert with no people, and <laughs> he's fine. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Bast Bast also sometimes walks around without a clear host, right? I thought it was just always Muffin. Like, didn't Muffin die at the end of the last book? No, Muffin's fine. Muffin's fine. Yeah, the uh, Muffin went back to Brooklyn House with um, Khufu and Philip of Macedonia before the final battle. Why did unlike Doughboy, who they did leave to die? They did leave Doughboy Doughboy to die. Well, that's okay. Okay, well, uh, that's that's a, that could be, you know, maybe that's something that'll be revealed later. Or maybe he's just, like, he's been in, like, because, like, he's lived for so much of his life just, like, in the human world. And maybe this is just, like, something he can do, is live without a host. Oh, you know what it might be? What's that? Uh, the Greek gods don't need hosts, right? Uh-huh. They're just, like, people. Uh-huh. Uh, Bez was a Roman god for a while. So maybe well, he was a Roman god for so long that he, like, shifted to working closer to their rules. That's interesting. Maybe. Um, we also don't get anything with Thoth about, like, Thoth having a host. Um, and I thought he was, he was, like, hosted in the university. Oh, no, wait, because he moves to the pyramid. No, you're right. And we also get, like, oh, they, you know, conflated me with Mercury or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's an interesting theory. Uh, I think that's everything on on these chapters. That I yeah, let's go over about. to uh, Sadie's side. Let's go over to the uh, very good chapters. Yeah, what what makes these so much better for you? I think one of the things is um, when Sadie is like telling her story about her and Walt, like they get in a ta- on a bus and it sucks, and the driver's eating raw onions, and then they get in a taxi, and it drives them out in the middle of nowhere, and they get attacked by bandits. The way she tells the story is, like, direct address to the reader with asides about, like, oh, maybe you'd be asking blah, blah, blah. And it actually sounds like she is telling the story into a recorder. Yeah. The the, the framing device, it works. They made it work. Yeah, this is, like, I think it's a combination of, like, what I said about Rick really finding these characters' voices. Mm-hmm. And also just, like... It, it it does like kind of work better with these like more conversational like 
Like, it, it just, you're right that it just kind of, like, sounds like something that would be said into a tape recorder. Like, obviously, like, they're, like, just, like, there are whole pieces of, like, dialogue that happen that would not happen if you were saying this into a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it is pretty, like, like, I could, I, could, I feel like it does, like you said, it works with the framing device. Just, yeah, just out of nowhere, it suddenly feels a lot more natural. And any any time that that can be justified, I am I am a happy <laughs> Jacqueline. Oh, I guess we get the big plot twist in this chapter. Uh, which one? Uh, well, in chapter fifteen, the big plot twist we get is um, Apophis is like planning to use Ra Awakening in some way. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because I think. Okay, hear me out here. Mm-hmm. I think I proposed, like, last episode, maybe the one before, that Ra was the one sending these challenges after the kids to, tr- to stop them from waking him up. Yeah. Do you think this lends more credence to the idea? Uh, I think I think probably not. I think it's fairly safe to say at this point that that was Apophis. You think so? Yeah, he's just kind of, like, putting on a bit of a show and trying to make it look like he's stopping them to make them do it more. Mm, those Kronos maneuvers. Yeah. Although I guess yeah, your idea is still perfectly possible, and I think honestly would be more interesting if it, that's what it turned out it was. I'm curious. I'm curious what it will be ultimately. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I wonder how this book will like ultimately resolve, um, and like how much of this because it feels very final, right? It feels like this should be the final boss of like the King Chronicles or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Well, but also there's the, ex- the thematically, I don't feel like it would be a decent ending. And also we've gotten a lot of ominous shit about Ra, about him not helping if he comes back. Also, there is another book. There is another book and it's called The Serpent's Shadow. So <laughs> Apophis will probably be in it. It's probably going to be one of those things where like at the end of this book, Apophis gets out and it's like, oh my God, what are we going to do now? Cliffhanger. Yeah, it just feels like Apophis has been built up so much that him like being released feels like it would just be like immediate end of world yeah it would feel a bit weird if he didn't just like immediately eat the sun which is what has been explicitly laid out as what the stakes are right right so i mean i guess we'll see right but also mm-hmm. there are different books happening concurrently to this so the world oh, can't yeah <laughs> the, the world can't just like end between books God, how fucking funny would it be if, like, the world ends at the end of this one and just, like, Heroes of Olympus stops? That'd be really funny. Like, <laughs> what if that was the twist? Because I think a while back I was like, oh, there's something interesting with the next book. What if the twist is that, like, this comes after the Heroes of Olympus? <laughs> it's, it, there there are actually no other books after that. It's, there's no God. Magnus Chase. There's no Trials of Apollo. We can end the podcast. We, we were free. We did it. Thank you, Apophis, for killing us all. God. I'm I'm enjoying this podcast. Let's let's keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, Walt's relatives really can't be blamed for what they tried to do. Oh yeah, like they tried to ban worship of the Egyptian gods and instead institute sun god worship, or uh-huh. just like sun worship. And like I don't know, I, I I wouldn't blame people for worshiping the sun. It's a big glowy thing. It keeps everything alive. It makes a lot makes a lot of sense to me as a religion, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they already worship the sun, is the thing. I guess it's a different sun god, a, a ten, I think it's called. Yeah, um, the difference is, like, the idea kind of presented here is that, like, 
Ra is supposed to be like he drives the sun chariot and stuff. So that's mm-hmm. like, um, but I think the idea is that like Aten is like um, more like the physical embodiment of the sun. Uh, yeah, I see. There are so many different. There are so many different like Egyptian like creation myths and stuff. Like we even get an example of that here with Ptah. Like Ptah is like, cons- like s- sometimes even considered to be like one of the three aspects of Ra. Oh right, interesting. Oh, yeah. maybe that's why he's there. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, and for that reason, like, yeah, it does. I don't know. Like, um, I guess. I guess I understand why people got mad. I think the idea of like just like a bunch of Egyptian priests getting really mad at that that and like vandalizing a city or whatever it was <laughs> is it it's very funny. The sickle cell anemia is less funny. That's less funny. That's let's that's very much not funny. Uh we learned that Walt's dad was like 18 when he died, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh which is something. And most most of his relatives die by like 13 i don't really know how this how like this line has continued this long yeah speaking personally i would just stop having kids yeah (laughs) i I mean i guess the idea is like hopefully one of them one of our like what's the opposite of an ancestor descendants one of our descendants uh thank you uh (laughs) uh that's that was a little homestuck test for you uh fuck's sake (laughs) like maybe the idea is like hopefully one of our descendants will like release us from this curse or something like that but it's it's just like it's just a little bit like not like it's it's like fucked up but like a little bit strange too you could just stop the curse again by just not having any kids right Maybe they're like their souls are like trapped or something until the curse is ended. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that could be it. Maybe part of the curse is that you're compelled to have children. <laughs> <laughs> you get sickle cell anemia, but it quadruples your sperm count. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, oh God. Okay. Uh, am I cutting that out? I guess not. <laughs> I guess we can leave that in. Uh, oh God, the people need to know. Yeah, I. Uh, this is um, the other day we were the other episode last episode we were like, oh, this is not a very like interesting mystery, and it still wasn't a very interesting mystery up to now. But I do Definitely like retra- I do retract what I was saying about like, oh, they're not giving us any clues, uh, because like, okay, I guess this is one of those like, this is one of those like I would call it clues for the like little kid who has who goes into the library and picks up a book of like the complete guide to egyptian mythology oh yeah uh which probably is like a a heavy overlap with like readers of these rick riordan books i assume and i know that because i was in that overlap (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can definitely see like kids got pile of king chronicles books under one arm horrible histories under the other what is, what is Horrible Histories? Do you not have Horrible Histories? I don't think I know that, no. Oh my god, it's it's just these, like, uh, these very short, like, kids' history books, which kind of market themselves by being like, this is history with all the, like, really horrible executions and diseases and stuff left in. Ooh. And I, I read the shit out of those when I was a kid. Directly appealing to young Jane. <laughs> anyway, yes, I would imagine that that... that 
a lot of kids would have read like oh isn't isn't he that bloke who was king tutankhamun's granddad or something Uh uh-huh i'm curious where this will go like is this gonna end with like both of the teenagers that we met at the beginning of this book dying the the question is um is this like a cool world building thing that rick has decided to work in and we'll see how it integrates into the world or is rick riordan in the year 2011 trying to get in on that um uh, ya cichlet oh god (laughs) oh god i didn't even think of that wait you're saying you're saying that not only is the Kane chronicles in conversation with such works as twilight and beastly but also such works as fucking oh as the fault in our stars the fault in our stars (laughs) holy shit you put the killing thing between your between your lips, but you don't activate its magic powers. <laughs> you put the killing thing around your neck. I guess in Walt's case, that's just kind of staring at the sun for a while. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, no, because he's wearing all these magic items that have, like, like, magic powers that he shouldn't use because it kills him. Oh, God. Yeah. His necklaces are all metaphors. Yeah, we still don't know what's up with, like, his gray energy beams or whatever, though. Yeah, we get yet another, um, Sadie asks a question about a thing about Walt. Walt changes the subject. We move on. <laughs> Which is quite annoying to get after we they were just, like, opening up to each other. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really clear when reading this if it was, like, is he even sure himself? I don't really know. Like, I wonder if it has something to do with Anubis. Mm-hmm. My theory for this, okay. you know my theory, is that by the end of this book, Anubis will, like, take on Walt as a host or something. <laughs> oh, that fuck, way, you're right. <laughs> that way, like, maybe he can live longer because he has, like, the god of the dead in him. Mm-hmm. And also, like... I don't know. Then Sadie gets to have both of her romantic interests in one. This is this is true. Although I hate to mention this, uh huh. But there is a part where um, Sadie is like looking over Walt, uh, just after she's been talking about. Oh, I'm I kind of have a crush on him, and she's like, oh, you know, the way he's talking right now really reminds me of my dad. <laughs> is that? I I guess I glanced over that part. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying I the don't... parallels will start to become uncomfortable if Walt was also possessed by a god of the dead as her dad is. <laughs> oh god. I mean, I think it's I mean, this is also the ch- the same chapter where Sadie is like everybody wants to be mothered. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe Sadie just has some like weird ideas in her head. I do really like the section where um was it Sadie's camel Katrina uh licks um licks um uh, Walt's camel and in response Walt's camel farts <laughs> and Sadie says I find this a depressing commentary on boy girl relationships god I what what was Walt's camel's name again uh it's like um Hindenburg or something yeah they she names the camels Katrina and Hindenburg because they're not disasters uh <laughs> it's 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 a it's a funny little thing it's absolutely something that a 13 year old girl would do definitely uh we meet we meet the romans too here 
There's a lot of Romans. I had a panic when we got into the Roman section. Uh-huh. Because we meet um we meet Mad Claude, who I love. Absolutely yes. one of the best new characters we've had. Uh but he's described as looking like Roman Winston Churchill. Uh-huh. And I I panicked because this book was published in 2011, the same year that uh, Doctor Who aired an episode where there was like an alternate history where Winston Churchill was the Roman Emperor. Really? Yeah. That (laughs) happened? That happens. Why? Uh, (laughs) uh, Because there was an astronaut in a lake who was actually the Doctor's wife. And she was meant to kill the Doctor, but then she doesn't kill the Doctor, which, like, destroys time. So, like, all events in time are happening at once. So Winston Churchill is Roman Emperor while, like, pterodactyls are circling Buckingham Palace where he now lives. I... Okay. Series 6 is bad. Anyway, the point is, I looked into it and they're almost definitely not related because this was published, like, a few months before that episode aired. Right. Which means there probably wasn't any room for them to influence one another. Probably not. It's just a horrible coincidence. Yeah. And <laughs> and Mad Claude. Uh, uh, Sadie asks him, of course, like, does that Mad as in angry or Mad as in crazy? And he's like, yes. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a funny little fellow. I love the, the description of him as a used chariot salesman. Yeah. Just to get across that, like, really skeevy, like, vibe that he has. It's so good. Yeah, this whole time you're like, oh, how is he going to screw them over? <laughs> and, and, like, it- all the all the little asides he has as they're walking through the tomb, where he's like, oh, this was uh, Jeff the Slaver. He died trying to make out with a scorpion for a bet. What a fucking idiot. Right. Like, he's... Like oh this guy was this guy was named like, I don't know Caligula he was doomed from the start because of his name. <laughs> uh, these 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 sad fucks of a family died of wasting disease. It, he's just like it, he it, he's entertaining to read. Um, it's entertaining to read. I love the the like the almost like he doth protest too much thing, where he's like he thinks that they're scholars from the House of Life who are here to do burial rituals. And he's like, you fuckers had no idea what you were doing, but you just took the money and did a shoddy job. Or it's like, okay, but he's been characterized as this, like, used car salesman type. So that's definitely just, like, what he would think to do. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, it's so, this is actually kind of interesting. Like, uh, this idea that, like, oh, these, like, these Romans who were, like, I guess, like, occupying this land for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, being like, oh, wouldn't it be quite fashionable to try and out these quaint Egyptian native customs? Uh, <laughs> like he refers to the Egyptians multiple times as like, oh, the natives, uh, yeah. in like a very like derisive way. Um, it's very like he's he he's so slimy, and it's interesting that like we get this portrait of like, I guess the historical merged with like, I guess the mythological in a way. I think especially with how one interesting thing here was when um when Claude was like, Oh, offer like make an offering to Bata. Like that'll help him open the like that'll, you know, make him want to open the door for you. Mm-hmm. Which which is really interesting to me because offerings were something that we talked about a lot with um like 
you know, in Percy Jackson, but are not oh, something yeah. that have ever been brought up in the Kane Chronicles, basically. It, the only time it's come up is, like, Bast saying, hey, feed this cat, which comes across less like an offering and more like, I just use this cat's body as, like, my puppet, feed it to say sorry. Yeah, basically. It's, and it's not, the, like, it's, of course, not that there were, like, no offerings to, like, the Egyptian gods. Mm-hmm. But it does, what it does do is make these two, is, like, further the distinction um, between these two pantheons, like, in the universe. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, the offering ultimately, like, it's appreciated, but it's not, like, what gets it, like, gets it working. When, like, if the same thing happened in Percy Jackson, that probably would be a pretty good solution. Yeah, definitely. I get th- th- There is kind of one thing that's kind of weird that th- these chapters set up. Uh-huh. Which is the idea that, like, Hades slash Pluto seems to be kind of, like, the default setting for where you go if you die. Yeah. And you have to, like, specifically have different burial rites if you want to go to the Duat. Uh, I I think this is more saying that that's true of Romans. Oh, okay. Like, I think this is saying, like, whatever, like, group you belong to, uh, like... Like, this is kind of in line with what we learned in The Lightning Thief. That, like, oh, this priest is, like, seeing that he's in hell because he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's also, it's, like, like the Romans, like, they were Romans. They would have gone to, like, you know, over to, the, not Hades, but Pluto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they had a different word for it than just Pluto. Probably not. Maybe. Uh, Claude says Pluto's realm as opposed to just like Pluto. So I don't know if there's a difference. It seems yeah, like I've, there might be. Yeah, I've never really heard like you. You hear Hades to refer to the realm, but you never really hear just like Pluto. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. That might just but, be because it's confusing to say like, oh, I'm gonna go to Pluto when Pluto is a place. Yeah, it is also a planet, or <laughs> I guess it's not a planet, but you know what I mean. Uh-huh. I think this is basically saying, like, if you belong to a certain religious group, you will, like, whatever happens when you die will be based on that religious group's beliefs. Unless you're a fucking jackass and you try to hedge your bets, in which case you're going to get stuck in a tomb for a thousand years. Right, exactly. (laughs) God. No, yeah, simultaneously, like, this paints a really interesting portrait of these Romans in so many ways. They, they're definitely, like, very in line with the characterization that, like, classical Greek stuff has had in these books so far. Uh-huh. Which is that they seem to be, like, drunken, arrogant jackasses. Basically, yeah. The, we still get a little bit of sympathy for them, though, but after, like, oh, like, Sadie's just sees, like, this little mummified, like, seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, wow, that's sad that this whole family died. That is sad, but also Claude does suck. He does suck. I really hope Claude comes back. Because he, he says, I'm going to get you for this before he disappears at the end. I want more Claude, but I especially want like just like more characters that are like Claude. Like more fun, just like more fun characters, I guess. Because Claude kind of tonally feels like the, the stuff from Percy Jackson the Olympians like kicking down King Chronicle's door. Because this was bit. the kind of character that we got all the time in Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't like, really get a lot of them in Kane Chronicles so far. This is like an encounter of the week for like the lightning thief or something. 
Yeah, he's he's very much like um like Krusty from the the Bed Emporium. That's exactly like, who e- I was even thinking of. Even the same like used salesman vibe. Yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. It makes me like curious. What are the heroes of Olympus like? What do those look like right now? Because these are being yeah. published like kind of concurrently. So I'm re- I'm very excited to get to those. Do you think um, Claude is going to show back up in like the Heroes of Olympus King Chronicles crossover? Oh, he could. Because like, if you're bringing in like all the Greek and Roman stuff from the other series, that would be the place to do it. Right. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else we want to cover before we uh finish it up? Uh, Rick once again demonstrating like just a total lack of self awareness. Uh huh. Uh, where it's it's kind of just a throwaway line from Sadie where she's in the tomb and she's talking about like oh it kind of sucks that we had the, the Romans got separated out into like people who could afford a decent burial and the people who couldn't we've got enough yeah. like classism in the, the modern world and like I agree with you Sadie but also textually you have good blood which gives you magic powers right like ah <laughs> uh... It's it's just it's never not gonna bother me. It's yeah, it's kind of like it. Just, it reminds me of the Bez thing again, where it's like Rick is not really like he's he's condemning things that are bad, and I appreciate that, but not really examining the way that he like unconsciously reinforces them in like his own writing. Yeah, yeah. It's I really don't think the story had to be like that like i don't think that these characters had to be like blood of the pharaohs to like for this story to work yeah definitely because i mean the, the house of life all of them aren't well and we, yeah they are right the way that are they isn't this didn't we talk about like how you have to have the blood of the pharaohs to be a magician I thought it was like you have to have blood of the pharaohs to be like a decent host for a god and to do like divine magic. Uh maybe, maybe. Cuz Zia is from uh like a small peasant village in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. Well, that's true, but I feel like it's been long enough. I I'm actually not clear on this point. Uh maybe I'll do a very quick bit of research and then see if I find anything. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, the wiki says that anyone can become a magician, but it's just, like, you're much more powerful if you have the blood of the pharaohs. Uh-huh. You're, you're more innately and inherently superior in magic if you have the blood <laughs> of the pharaohs. <laughs> I, yeah, I just don't, like, I think that even, like, you could even have the story of, like, Carter needing to become the pharaoh without this being the case. Yeah, I... It's really weird because, like, what we're getting in these pages is like, oh, the way you connect with the gods is through sympathetic magic. Oh, oh, yeah. So surely the... it should just be like anybody with like a reverence for the gods should be able to access that magic. Yeah, and it seems like they can, but like they're just worse at it unless they have the right bloodline. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah, because Desjardin is the descendant of some fucking French dude. So right. So it's definitely not Blood of the Pharaohs exclusive. You can meritocracy yourself up there, but... <laughs> By being part of, like, a family of French noblemen who stole a bunch of artifacts during Napoleon's time. Yeah, you know, meritocracy. <laughs> One, like, the final note I have on this is that I do think this is a really, really good fleshing out. And, like, I guess, like, this this chapter has made me, like, incredibly confident in, like, the magic system, I guess, here. 
like this is like reinforcing the the ideas that came up like super early on and haven't exactly drifted but it's more like everything that's been presented since is kind of being wrapped up in like these like these most important factors which are like the sympathetic magic and like the use of language yeah and i think this feeling of like like we we get this introduction to magic as like you say a word and then a thing happens and then we get like we it kind of branches out from there but it feels like it's all like as we're going along the journey of these characters who are trying to figure out how to bring ma- like divine magic back we're also like learning more and more we are like coming to understand the nature of that magic and i really really like that yeah definitely and also like the more rules that we're laying down and we're like establishing about the magic the further we get away from that problem i had at the start of this book where it felt like we had all the drawbacks of a hard magic system and a soft magic system with none of the advantages of either yeah yeah so yeah i'm glad that we're getting it fleshed out a bit definitely uh all right do you have any final thoughts uh there was one thing that is just kind of i noticed and is kind of interesting but is maybe not like exclusive to these chapters what's that which is um i think rick like dropped the angle of talking about um like carter being black how so i just i don't know i just don't think it's come up in this book at all it's come up a little bit but like i guess i don't know i mean like you're basically right I'm not I'm not complaining enough of it was fucked in the last book that dropping it was probably the right move. Probably I don't know this I, this could be a combination of things, right? Like scenario the scenarios and like settings that Carter has been in like largely probably just like wouldn't have come up. We did uh, skip over the part where he has to like navigate his way through a giant police barricade. Yeah, that's true. Uh and it's yeah it's interesting like it's coming up still right like it's um we get it with sadie with sadie kind of being like i'll just pretend walt's my brother which is like (laughs) kind of like kind of a dig at carter um and you know them talking a bit more about like oh you know people like you know never believe that my brother's my brother anyway Uh um but you're right that it's not as much of a focus as it was in the first book and whether that's like maybe Rick hired a sensitivity reader or maybe like uh I don't know maybe he just thought better of it or maybe it just like like let's, thought better like putting things in that he didn't really like understand I don't know I don't know that's that's kind of why I find it interesting because like the the Sadie's classism thing and the stuff with bears seems to indicate like lack of self-awareness uh-huh but also at the same time it seems like a good move has been very quietly made on that stuff right and i i looked around and i couldn't find anyone like complaining about it so there wasn't like as far as i can tell any big controversy about talking about that in a kid's book or anything like that like so i don't know what we get from the king chronicles book so far is a very like i don't want to say it's like oh somebody read about racism and then (laughs) like because that feels like i don't know kind of dismissive but it's like very like surface level in a lot of ways uh in a way that is like okay yeah this is a like a a white writer Mm -hmm. um but it's also not like 
it's never done in like like so wild a way that it would be like okay what's what's this writer like thinking like what why would you put like do this you know what i mean yeah he's i mean rick sure is a white liberal yeah that's that's very much the thing this is the thing (laughs) oh god brought to you by disney and yeah uh yeah yeah i anyway, sorry i just I, I just realized it hadn't come up in these chapters or at all really in this book and i just found it kind of interesting no definitely it's it's an interesting difference i think that's everything i think unless so. you got anything else no i think that's it uh if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There you can get the links for all of our stuff, uh, our Discord server, our Patreon. Uh, if you want to help us out, you can leave us a five-star review, tell a friend about it, uh, leave a leave a, leave a leave a like on our YouTube videos, I guess, if you want to. Um, <laughs> just like send us a message being like, love the show uh engagement please we need the engagement yeah feel free to feel free to do engagement feel free to provide you know free free advertisement for us (laughs) uh and one of the biggest ways you can help us is by going to patreon.com slash unwise girls uh if you do that you can support us at three different levels the first one is one dollar a month uh, where you will get the special discord role of whittle doe being uh you will be our shop tea and uh you will uh not have to do our bidding but you will be uh you know trapped in the podcast by we your won't own abandon you in arizona we will not abandon you anywhere we promise <laughs> unless we just like get really bored of the podcast one day and decide to stop doing it <laughs> for three dollars a month you get uh the special role of big ba energy and also access to all of our bonus content uh, yeah, last uh, last week, like we mentioned, we talked about Prince of Egypt. Uh, Jacqueline talked about Jesus Christ Superstar, and we talked about like Carcat's weird Jesus ancestor in Homestuck. So it was sure was an episode with a lot of that stuff. That's right. Uh, and for five dollars a month, you get the special Bast Head Pat Pass roll. Use it wisely, uh, and also a special thank you at the end of episodes. Uh, speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Uh, and we'd also like to thank our new patron, uh, Rosie. We have a new Whittledo being has joined. That's right. We don't. We don't usually. You know, we'll, we'll give. We'll, we'll we'll say thank you once. <laughs> you get one. You get one. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you to everyone. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye.